Now, some of you may be wondering, uh, some of you may be concerned or anxious because you're, you're thinking the favorite part of the worship service, we've skipped over it, right? The giving of the tithes and offerings. Don't be nervous. Um, we are going to do that um, right after the sermon as a part of kind of our commitment Sunday so that uh, you can give your tithes and offerings and also your commitment um, and the trays that will be passed out after the sermon. So don't... Uh, don't fret if you're concerned about that. Um, did anyone, how many of you all have already eaten at the Sunday brunch? Several of you. All right, all right. And Andrew, will you be going back again after the service? Hey, I figured. Okay, good. Um, it smelled amazing. The biscuits and gravy, it was everything I could do to not just begin to take. I went around to the people who were already eating, uh, and I asked them, if you could only eat one thing, what would it be, just so that I could get a little bit of a heads up of what the best thing is. So, and I am not going to tell you what they said, all right? But I know. Okay, so I'm looking forward to that. It is a busy Sunday for us today. Um, we have that. We have the Hanging of the Greens. And, of course, we also have um, a Commitment Sunday today and then also the ordination and installation of our elders, incoming elders and deacons. So let's, uh, without further ado, let's dive in. Uh, this is the last Sunday that we will be looking at parables, the last Sunday of our uh, series in the parables. And so uh, we're going to be looking at the parable of the talents this morning, and it comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. So I invite you to hear these words. Jesus is speaking, and he says, For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. And the one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. And see, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things, so I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master." And the one with two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents, and see, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I did not scatter then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. 
So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all who have, more will be given, and they will have in abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we come to you on this beautiful morning. To see the snow outside and to feel the cold. To be reminded that we are alive and reminded that you are alive in us. And so, Lord, I pray that over these next few minutes, that you will be with us. That you would open up our ears, our hearts, our minds to you. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Well, as I mentioned to you, uh, this is the last Sunday uh, when we are going to be looking at parables, at least for a little while. And uh, I have to tell you that it's with some sadness uh, that I say that because I really love the parables. And I've said this to you all again and again, but I just love the way that Jesus tells them. I love the subversive nature of them, the way they can kind of sneak behind those beautiful walls that we set up in order to get at the heart of, of who we are and, and perhaps of who God is and, and of what God wants to do in our lives. And to be sure, this is another parable that does just that. The parable of the ten talents, or the ten talents, five, seven, eight in all, um, Five made ten, and okay. So, so the parable of the talents. Let's just go with that. There's a master. He's going to go away for a while. So he decides that what he's going to do is he's going to give some of his workers some of his money. That's what a, a talent is. A talent, it's quite a bit, actually. It tends to be anywhere between 15 and 25 years worth of wages. And so he gives the first talent away. He gives five talents to the first person. And that first person says, goes away immediately, makes trades. And before you know it, he's got five more talents, meaning that now he has good ten talents. That's right. To the second one, he gives how many talents? Two, right? And that guy goes out immediately again, we are told. Quickly, he goes out and he, he, he does some working and all of a sudden he comes back and he's doubled his talents, which means he now has four talents, right? This is looking good. These guys are good, right? So the third person gets his talent and this one just gets one. And we don't know how long it takes him because there's no word like immediately. We just know at some point while his master is gone, he goes and he digs a hole and he buries that one talent and he covers it up for safekeeping. And after a long time, we are told, the master returns. And of course, he wants to know. What have his workers been doing? What have they been doing with the talents that he gave them? And so the person with five talents comes forward and he says, I've got good news for you, master. You gave me five. Now here's ten. And the master, of course, is very excited for him. Great job. You've done a wonderful job. And because of that, I'm going to give you even more to do in the future. Great job. Come 
And B, enjoy the joy of your master. So then the one with two parables or two talents, he comes up and he gives those two talents. And of course, again, then the master says, great job. You've made four talents. This is good work. I want you to, I'm going to give you more because you've done such a nice job. So sure enough, he does. And sure enough, then he can enter into the joy of his master. Everything is going swimmingly. Everyone is excited. Everyone is happy except the third servant. Now, what do you think this worker is thinking right now? Well, I'll tell you what he's thinking. He's thinking a lot of what I used to think when I was in school and we would have a big project due. Right? Anyone ever have these big projects, right? And, and you think, well, you know what? I think I can, I can probably pull this one off on the bus ride to school the day of, right? This is not going to be a bad deal. I can wing it. I loved winging things, right? And so you get there, and so sure enough, you get in class, and the teacher would be like, okay, it's time for us to do our projects. And, of course, you know, who wants to go first? And there's always one or two, you know, like, oh, you know, we want to go, right? Like, All right, fine, you go, right? And so they would go up, and, man, they had been working on this, right? They'd come up, and they'd have, like, all these graphs, and they'd hand out the papers. And, you know, it was clear they'd done some work, right? And the second person would be like, oh, yeah. And they had, like, a transparency they had made. Everyone remember transparencies, huh? Just to age myself, a little wobbly thing, right? Uh, I'll tell you later, Will. So, 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 you know, they put the transparency up, and it was amazing. And all of a sudden, right, you just get this sinking feeling. You're like, this is not going to go well. This is going to be remarkably awkward when I go up there, right? So you would start slumping down, right, in the hopes, of course, that the teacher wouldn't call on you. But, of course, the teacher called on you because they saw you slumping down and because probably the teacher already knew that I hadn't done much work on it, right? And so she would call me up, right, and I would start walking up, and the whole time I'd go very slowly because I'd be thinking, I've got to come up with something. What can I say? And it was always a joke. If I could come up with a joke, if I could say something to, to try to distract the teacher so that she would forget how lame my project was, she would say the project was horrible, but that was really funny what he said. We'll go ahead and at least give him a B, right? I mean, something for that. But of course, it rarely happened. The teachers are much too smart for that, right? And so I would be up there and it was incredibly uncomfortable. Well, I want you to know that the third servant, as he's sitting there and after those first two going, he's got to be thinking, oh, this is not going to end well for me. And so sure enough, right, before the master says anything, he's already been thinking. And so he gets up there, and, and before the master asks me, well, 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 I know, I know. I knew that you were, you were a harsh man. You're a, you're a harsh person. And I knew that, that, that it wasn't going to go well. And so, and so I know that you like, to, you like to sow where you didn't reap or, or reap where you don't sow. I don't know what it is. But all I know is that, that you were mean. And so I decided, this, I decided, this is going to be funny. I decided to, to just put it over here in a hole and bury it up. And, and here's your talent back. And he wasn't amused. Because all of a sudden he says, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew, as you say, that I was so harsh then you should have at least left it with the banker so that I could have gotten interest. Now, I'm going to take this one talent, and I'm going to give it to the person who has ten talents, and I want you to go into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. 
Jesus has some harsh words at times. So what do we do with this particular parable? This is the last Sunday. We're in the last Sunday of the year. You know that, right? This is the last Sunday of the year. Why is it the last Sunday of the year? Because next Sunday is Advent. And Advent in our liturgical year is the first Sunday of the year. And so this is the last Sunday, and we usually call this Christ the King Sunday. Right? The last Sunday of the year. And so it is the good and right time for us to begin asking ourselves questions like what you always do at the end of the year, which is what are we going to do in this next year? Right? I mean, it's why, right? It's a good time for us to have a commitment Sunday. It's a good time for us to ordain and install our elders and deacons because these are the people who are leading us into the next year. And so what does this parable have to say to us about how we should address or how we should look at this upcoming year? Well, the first thing I think it says, and I am sorry, I realize that I have said this time and time again over these last couple of months, but I think it's simply because Jesus is always talking about it, and that is this, that God is abundantly generous, and he gives us out of this, gives to us out of this great generosity. A talent is a lot Right? For the person who had five talents, that's like 75 years worth of wages. Even just the one talent is 15 years worth of wages. In other words, God gives in great abundance. God is abundantly generous. Now, you may be saying to yourself, well, that's, he didn't really give it to them, right? This is more like a loan, which, of course, is exactly the point which is that whatever God has given to us, he has given it to us on loan, right? You guys have heard me say this before, right? But that's exactly what we see here again. Jesus loves telling stories that remind us of the simple reality that everything we have and everything we are has been given to us generously from God, and it is on loan. Whether we want to deal with that or not, that is the truth. So what is it? What is the talent then? Well, it's not like we oftentimes think about talent when it comes to the English language. I've already said that. It's pretty much money. And yet it seems to me that Jesus is trying to convey more than just the fact that it's money. It is anything that he has given to us. And I love how Dale Bruner expresses this. So I want you to hear this. He says this. He says, a talent is whatever the Lord gives you now and will ask you about later. Whatever the Lord gives you now and will ask you about later. So whatever that is, if God has given you, provided you a job, he is going to ask you about that job later. What kind of worker were you? If God has given you a neighbor who sits right next to you, God provided that neighbor for you, at some point God is going to ask you How did you love that neighbor? If God's given you a spouse, God is going to ask you at some point, how have you cared for that spouse? If God has given you the gift of singleness, God is going to ask you at some point, well, how how did you live into that singleness? What did that look like for you? Whatever it is, it is the point that at some point you are going to be asked about it, which is remarkably important. 
Because what is the most often asked question to teachers? I'm sure my guess is it may also be the most annoying one, especially the older the student gets. After they've given you all this information, they've, they, they, they've kind of given you their passion for this lesson that they want you to learn. And the student will ask this question. Will it be on the test? That is exactly right. And why do they ask that question? Because if it's going to be on the test, they are going to focus on it. They are going to look at it. They're going to reflect on it. They're going to study it. They're going to look on it. They're going to reflect on it. They're going to study on it. They're going to ponder it. It is always going to be on the mind as they come up to that test. If it's not going to be on the test, I don't need to finish that sentence. But if it is, then they will always be thinking about it. So the question, right, again, if we know at some point that we are going to be asked about this, Will it change and reframe in this next year how we look at every opportunity that we have been given by God? Now, there are times when this parable causes people quite a bit of concern, and understandably so, because we always talk about the fact that it's grace first and grace in the middle and grace in the end, and that is absolutely true. And it's important, as N.T. Wright says, that we realize that, that that one parable is not going to give you a whole view of God. Right? So God is, Christ is a God of grace. But at the same time, we must also be cognizant of the fact that Jesus is also continually preaching and saying, whatever you have, we have to be responsible for it. And at some point, God is going to ask us how we have done. This parable comes right after the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Do you remember that parable? And one of the questions that we kept coming back to at the end of that was, are you living now with the end in mind? In other words, are we always living mindful of the reality that while God is certainly a God of grace, he is also going to be asking us how we have done. At some point, we will be asked, how have you used the talents which I loaned to you? And so if we are a people who have received grace, we should be a people who are giving grace. If we are people who have received in abundance and generosity, we should be people who are giving abundantly and with generosity. If we are a people who have received love, we should be giving it back. Otherwise, if we are a people who are just always receiving, then we're like the guy who kind of pulls his chair up to the, to the buffet line at the Golden Corral and just keeps eating. And before you know it, we become gluttonous. And all we can do is waddle around for God's kingdom. And God did not call us to be waddlers. God called us to be doers. To take seriously the gifts to which he has given us. So what does it look like then for us in going into 2016? What does the parable have to say to us? This past week, I received a phone call from somebody from the Fellowship Community, which is a kind of a Presbyterian organization of which we are a part. And, and she had a few questions for me. She said, you know what, we're, we're making some phone calls, and, uh, and, and what we're doing is we're wanting to share with other churches the good things that are going on. And, and so we've heard some really good things about what's happening, what's been happening for a long time at ZPC. And so we'd love for you, will you do you mind just kind of telling me in the next few minutes kind of some of the things that you're doing? And I said, sure, you know, I don't, I, that's fine. I don't, 
Sure. So I did. So I began to tell her things that you guys already know, right? We talk about it a fair amount. I told her about the food pantry. I, I told her about Great Banquet. I, I, I told her about how last week we, we housed the homeless. I talked about the Jeremiah house. I talked about mops. I talked about, you know, all of these other things, right? Remark, you know, fun, great things that we're doing. And, and, and so she, she was, you know, she loved hearing it. I, she must not have heard in my voice all that much excitement, although I'm very excited about it. Because she said, you know, you really should be more excited about this than you sound like. And I said, well, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm, this is great, but I don't, I, you know, if it felt like it was bragging, I didn't want to do that. And she said, no, you should really be excited about this. She said, because, you know, there's just not a lot of Presbyterian churches, at least, that are, that, are, that are really doing all those things. In fact, she said, I go to a church that's very much the same size as yours is, but, man, you guys are doing a lot of great things. And I said, well, thank you. You know, that's, that's wonderful. And, and so I thought about that, you know, after the phone call. Well, this is a week before Thanksgiving. That's, that's great. Yes, we should be thankful. And I want you to know, that I am very thankful for the ways in which we are using the talent that God has given to us. From time to time, I get a sense from people that perhaps they feel like I'm always pushing us, you know, and challenging us, and that, I'm, I, that I think that we're not doing very much that's really good, right? Well, I do think that we're doing good stuff. You guys are nervous. No, I think we're doing some amazing things, and I want you to know that. And I apologize if it seems like I'm always pushing and I'm never kind of encouraging or saying, hey, we're doing some good things. I want you to know that I do think that this church does some remarkable things, and I love being your pastor. What I'm going to be thankful for on Thanksgiving, one of the things is to be able to be the pastor here. I love it. But... (laughs) So here's the thing. Tuesday night, I was at my daughter Adelie's, she's four years old, here at Noah's Ark. She's a part of the preschool, right? And so there was a father-student night, right? And so I got to come. We were there for about an hour and got to see everything they were doing, right? She's got great teachers. I would, I would highly encourage it. It was, a, it, was a, it was, you know, Noah's Ark. It was a great, great time. Anyways, so one of the things that we were doing there was we got to go around to these different stations that they had, right? So Adelie wanted to show me her two favorite stations, Okay, the first one was the dress-up station, right? Which is not my favorite station, quite honestly. But, you know, I mean, I did it. It was fine. I put this little hat on. It was actually, it was much less than I usually had to do at home. So it was fine. It was great. But then she took me to the sandbox. Now, the sandbox is something that I can get behind. It was awesome. I mean, there's all the sand, right? And in the sand, there's all these little plastic animals, right? There's like some frogs. There's, a, there's an octopus. There's a, I couldn't, I couldn't remember if it was an alligator or a crocodile. And Mrs. LaFoon, her teacher, told me earlier what it was. And I have no idea what she said. I, wanted, let's say, I think it was an alligator, okay? It's probably not that important for the story, but just in case, okay? So there's all these animals, right? And so it's kind of a long table. And so Adelie, right, she's kind of focused over here on this side, and she's kind of kicking up sand and, and telling her father that I have to be careful with the sand and not get it out on the carpet, right? Which means clearly she's done that a number of times. And so, so, so there they were. But while she was doing that and over there on that side, I was over on this side and I was kind of, I, w- I was digging up sand and I was, I was hiding some of the animals, right? I was hiding some of the frog, I'd hide a frog. And I'd say, Adelie, I said, there's something under here. And she'd be like, ah, oh! you know, and she would kind of like, you know, dig it up and she'd find it, you know, she's so excited. And, and you know, and then, and then she'd look over there and I, and I had to hide the octopus. The octopus is really big, so it takes a lot of sand. And so I would hide it and I'd say, 
Adelie, there's something under here. And she'd come over and she'd start to kind of undo it. And you could see a tentacle that was finally, you know, making way. And all of a sudden, right, it was undigging. It was great, right? And we would have kept doing it, but Mrs. LaFoon said we had to do other things, right? <laughs> Teachers. So, but it was so much fun, right? I'd kind of forgotten about the joy of that. And I realized that one of the things I love doing is digging up sand and finding hidden things. And I want you to know that one of the reasons why I love challenging us at ZPC is because I am convinced that we are hiding some things, some talents that we have. I want to say this in all humility. I think this is a five-talent church. But I also want you to know that I have a sneaking suspicion that we are doing great with a couple of those talents, like the whole litany that I had given the phone caller a couple days ago, and that we've got a couple that we are hiding back here. Maybe we just don't want to take a risk. Maybe we don't even know it's there. Or maybe we're just trying to hide it because we think if we just throw out a couple of them, it'll distract the teacher enough, the master enough to say, hey, you're doing great. But I have a feeling that we've got some things that we continue to hide. And I want you to know that I think as a pastor, a part of my role is to say, I've got a shovel, guys. Let's start digging. And to find some of those things that we haven't yet unearthed because I know they're in there. I think we've done a decent job of having things here that we can invite people to, right? Things like mops or Sunday worship or the brunch. Anyone thinking about the brunch right now? Am I right? Okay. But I'm not sure that we've done a very good job of helping you to see the talent that you may have and inviting people into your home in order to be hospitable. I think we've done a pretty good job, right, of trying. We're not perfect, but trying to help you to see how you can use your talent here for the work of the church. But I'm not as convinced that we've done a very good job of showing you how you can use your talent at your workplace or where you go to school. And we need to start digging that up a little bit better. I think we've done a decent job of trying to let you know how you can use your talents here in terms of generosity in order to help us further the kingdom of God. But I'm, I'm not yet sure that we've done a very good job of, of showing you how more radical changes like living simply or, or fasting even, how those things then can give you even more freedom to do more for the kingdom of God. And I think we need to dig that a little bit more. I think we've done a nice job of the food pantry. I love the way what we do with the food pantry. I think we've done a nice job of housing the homeless last week. But I want you to know that I am convinced that we can actually do much, much more. That there's talent that's hidden down deep. Some of it down in our hearts that we hide there, lest anyone see it. And some just all around us. This is a gifted community. Gifted not because of anything you've done, but because of what God has done through you and given to you. And I want you to know that I am not going to stop digging. In fact, I think 2016 is the year of the dig. And the year when we just keep digging because we know, because not because we're scared, but because it is so exciting to see how talents begin to come up, how we begin to see one tentacle and that leads to another tentacle. And before you know it, you've got a whole octopus of talent that's sitting there and ready to be invested in the kingdom of God. 
And so I hope and pray that over these last week and a half or so as Commitment Sunday has been on its way, that you have begun to dig deep in your own heart to say, God, what is it that you would like for us to do to be a greater part of this kingdom of God? And as the elders and deacons will come up here in just a few minutes and become ordained or installed, I, my hope and my prayer is that they come with the shovel in hand ready to lead and to dig and to say there is more here that we can do, probably more than we can even imagine if we would but start digging and digging and digging so that one day in a day that will come for each and every one of us, we can approach the master with sand in our hands and in our shirts, blisters from the shovel in our hand, saying, God, we've not been perfect. We, 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 we probably have left some things hidden. We haven't found everything. But here's, here's what we've tried to do with what you have given to us. We can hear the master say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Good digging. May it be so. Amen. So sisters and brothers in Christ, as our ushers go back, this is the time.